Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're in a series called Build Your Church, and we're digging deep into the core values that guide our church. Last week, Pastor Nicole discussed the need to anchor our teaching in the truth of the Bible. This week, she's examining what it means to be a redemptive community, and we'll see that community in Jesus isn't about keeping the world out, but rather its focus is on letting others in. So let's get started today and continue our series, Build Your Church. I'm part of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of His. I am a disciple of His. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need position, promotion, and popularity. I don't have to be right, first, praised, or rewarded. I now live by faith, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer and I labor with power. My face is set, my goal heaven. My road is narrow, my way rough. My companions are few. My guide, reliable. My mission clear. My mission clear. My mission is clear. My mission clear. I cannot be bought. Compromised, detoured, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up. I am a disciple of Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop. Tell, till all know the work, till he stops me. Until he comes, my mission is clear. Love God and his people. Build Jesus-centered lives. And send out spirit-led disciples. Lord, build your church. Lord, build your church. Lord, build your church. What a great day to be together in the house of God today. Um, today we're continuing a series called Build Your Church, and we're looking at what Jesus designed for the church. Um, so I want to show a picture up here uh, for a minute of a place maybe we would all like to be. Um, I'll put this up in December, and you guys will ooh and ah right here. But I read about a man who was marooned on a desert island um, and he had been there for five years, and he was found and rescued. And as he climbed into the rescue boat, the curious rescuers noticed three grass huts. And they said, hey, um, we thought you were alone. Like, why are there three huts, they asked. And the man replied, the first hut is my home, and the second hut is my church. And they said, wow, that's, you know, that's amazing that you made sure you had a church while you're on the island all by yourself. Uh, what about the third hut? And the man said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> you can laugh or groan. It's your choice. But <laughs> in Matthew 16, Jesus is having an interaction with his disciples, and he asks them, who do you say I am? And Peter, a disciple, pipes up, and he answers correctly. He says, you are the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. And then Jesus responds to Peter, and I want us to look at that passage today in Matthew 16. It says this, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So last week, uh, we did a considerable amount of study on this word, the rock, what it meant, what it means to build the church on the rock. And we talked about how the rock that the church is built on is the faith and confession of believers that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. And it is upon that foundation and no other that Jesus promised to build his glorious church. And so today, uh, can Jesus build his church on the rock of our blessed confession? Can I hear it out there? Are you here today? Say, yes, Jesus is my Messiah. He's the living God. Give God some thanks and praise today if you believe that, that he is the one that we believe. He's not just a good man or a good prophet. He is the son of the living God. So today, I want to look at the word in verse 18. Um, actually, this word, church, the word that's used for church. And the Greek word translated church is the word ekklesia. Um, it's a compound word, so I want to teach you about it today. Uh, the root word is the passive form of the word kalio, which means to call or summon. And the preposition ahead of it is ek, which means out of. Okay, kalio ek. So ek means out of, and kalio means to call or to summon. And so ekklesia means an assembly of called out people. That's what it means. So Jesus is the first person to ever use the word ekklesia to describe an assembly of his redeemed followers. And in Matthew 16 is the first time in the Bible that he uses it. So what you're looking at today is the very first time Jesus calls the church a called out assembly of believers and the first time it's used in the scripture. So if the church is an assembly of called out people, what are we called out from? Well, we're called out of sin. We're called out of being lost. We're called out of feeling hopeless. We're called out of being just like everyone else. We are called out of fear. We are called out of despair. We are called out of heartache, right? We're called out of dread. We're called out of living in a hopeless world. And we are called in to a God who loves us and is able to create an assembly of people who are set apart and called out. Peter himself describes it pretty well in 1 Peter 2.9. He must have been listening when Jesus was telling him uh, at that moment that upon this rock I will build my church. This is what he says. But you, church, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes, amen. That's what the church is. This is the church, an assembly of called out people. And when it comes to Erie First Assembly, we have adopted a mission statement that keeps us focused on this very scripture. We exist to love God and his people, build Jesus-centered lives, and send out 
spirit-led disciples. And we have five values that really help us align our mission to God's word. And all of these values come from a study of the Bible, looking at how the church operated and how God designed it. And so these values are anchored teaching, spirit-led worship and prayer, redemptive community, purposeful outreach, and radical generosity. And over the next several weeks, we're actually going to look at each one of these. Last week, we talked about anchored teaching. Today, we're going to talk about redemptive community. And we're going to look at what the church has to say, what the Bible has to say about how the church should be a church of redemptive community. And so uh, what I want to look at is the book of Acts. Uh, if, you, if you know, if you study the scripture, Acts is when the early church started. It's the first time there was an ecclesia, an assembly of called out ones. And so uh, we want to look at it. We want to see what happens in the book of Acts, and then we'll know what our church should be like. And so I want just to read to you a small portion uh, from Acts 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Okay, so I want to stop just for a minute because I don't think we can skip over the word devoted without uh, really understanding the picture that Christ is giving us about the church. Can you imagine the potential of a church with a group of people who decided to be devoted? A group of people who determined to be part of God's house no matter their preferences, no matter their schedules, no matter their offenses, no matter their own agendas. Now, here's the amazing part. We don't have to imagine very far because the answer is right here in the scripture. I think we see the potential of a church that has devoted, committed people when we look at Acts 2, 42 through 43. We see this type of church. You know what's happening? These devoted believers, they are seeing miracles, signs, wonders, and growth every single day. That's what's happening. You know, I think often we get it a little bit backwards. Listen to me today. God does not say, go find the group of believers that are experiencing miracles, wonders, and growth and join them. He says, become devoted people, become a devoted community, and then you will see miracles, signs, wonders, and growth. That's what he says. Become the very thing that, that happens in the scripture and committed, staying, planted, devoted, grounded people will see signs, wonders, miracles performed. Verse 43 says the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And, and I was just thinking, what, what's a miracle, right? What, how do you define a miracle? Well, a miracle is a, an event in the heart or the mind or the body or nature that would not have come about if God had not gotten supernaturally involved. So a miracle is when the super meets the natural. Like that's what happened. A miracle is when the super meets the natural. It's a supernatural intrusion into the ordinary cause and effect of the universe. If you are a believer in Christ, we take for granted that we are walking miracles. All right, let me explain to you for a minute. The human heart, the heart that's beating in your chest right now, is hostile to God. Romans 8, 7, 7 says this, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's what the scripture says. 
And if it wasn't for supernatural intervention, we would all be spiritually dead. Every single one of us. If it wasn't for supernatural intervention, we would all be spiritually dead. But Jesus offers a new life and a new heart so that we can be reconciled to God. In fact, every step of becoming more like Jesus is a miracle by definition because it is an event that would not happen if God didn't intervene. We can't even become more like Jesus unless we have miracles because the super has to meet the natural. And so if you're here today and and you might say, you know, I've never seen a miracle or I just am not so sure that God does that and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, I want you to know that today he is offering you a chance to experience a miracle. Like you can literally experience a miracle today. You get to choose it. You get to choose if you want to see it. Because all you have to do is let God intervene in the natural. All you have to do is let God in your heart and say, "Uh, God, I'm a sinner, I'm natural, I don't know what to do, and God's gonna say, perfect, perfect, because when the super meets the natural, then I can do a miracle. And you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that he died on a cross for your sin, and listen, you too, today, can become a walking, living, breathing miracle. And so the church is talking about how they're seeing miracles, how they're seeing signs, and they're seeing wonders all the time. And you know what they're talking about? People coming into relationship with Jesus. They're also talking about healings and all that kind of stuff that's also happening. But I don't want you to forget that the very miracle of your heart meeting the heart of God is the biggest miracle of all. In fact, you know what? I just... The Holy Spirit's in charge all the time here today. So here's what I want to do. I just want to kind of stop for a minute. I want to pause. Would everyone in the room just bow your head for just a minute? I just really feel impressed. If you're here today and you're like, listen, I want to see a miracle. I want to give my heart to Jesus. Or maybe you want to give your heart back to Jesus. You've done this before, but but you have felt far from God maybe for quite some time. And you literally need a miracle to trust God again. I just want to. I just want to take a minute. I just want to create some space for that. I just feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, "Look right here. Just stop right where you are, and let's just take a minute." I just want you to say to the Lord, "God, I need a miracle." In fact, if that's you this morning, would you just look up at me or raise your hand so I can pray for you? I just want to pray for you today. If if you're in this room and you need to give your heart back to Jesus, or maybe for the very first time. All right, you can put your hand down now, Lord. I, I just pray right now for those that raised their hand. They did a physical representation of a spiritual decision where they want the super to meet the natural. And Jesus, uh, we just pray. If, if you're here and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, just agree with me right now. Pray this to yourself. Jesus, I'm sorry for the way I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for the way I've strayed from you. I'm sorry, God, that I want to do my own thing, but I am ready for the super to meet the natural, and I want to give you my heart and my life in every way. And I believe your death on the cross did all the work needed, and so I repent, and I turn from my old life, and I want to live for you forever. Amen. Just say amen all across this room if you believe and agree in that prayer. Can you thank God for the miracle that's happening in the seat next to you today? (laughs) There's a miracle happening in the pew in front of you. That's what's happening. 
The church saw many miracles, just like we just saw right there. Many people giving their hearts to Jesus, blind men being healed, lame people walking, and they were filled with awe. And let's look at the next verse, Acts 2, 44 through 45. It said, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. All right, let's stop there for a minute. So when the early church existed in that particular time uh, frame, it was radical for them to show concern to the poor in their city. Verse 45 says they were selling property and possessions to anyone in need. It was radical for a group of people to say, listen, we're for the poor. We're for the women. We're for the children. We're not trying to climb up the ladder of success and get everything that we need for ourselves. The church was going completely against culture by acknowledging the least among them. And what was happening was that the church began to see themselves and they began to understand who God formed them to be. And I put it like this, God formed us to be for others. God formed us to be for others. That's why when all we do is chase our own pleasure or chase our own life, and we build bigger barns and put bigger stuff in it. We're never happy. We're never satisfied. You know why? You were never meant to be. That was never the solution to the problem. God formed us to be for others. That's how we were all designed. And the truth is the early church acted and they responded differently than any other group of people in that city because the point of biblical community is to be with people who are for you and you're for them and together we're for others. So I'm for you and you're for me and as we are like that together we're for others. I thought of the image like this, uh, like a huddle. Okay, this is great for like before you wanna win a soccer game but this is not biblical community. This is not biblical community. Biblical community does not stand and huddle with arms jointed, facing each other, shutting everyone out, hoping none, nobody just gets in here. If we just keep this really good, then we'll be able to stay happy. You won't even stay happy, even if we could do this. But what biblical community is, is arms jointed, uh, the huddles formed, but you're facing outward. And you're saying, yeah, here we are, we're all in this together, but we are outward so we can be part of the image of who God created us to be. We're outward focused, we're linked together, but we're looking out. God, who can we be for? How can we be for each other? And how can we be for others? So here's the question for you today. Who are you for? Who is for you? In fact, here's some homework this week. If you're new here, you're like, she gives homework? I do, I do sometimes. Here's the homework. You call or text someone from this church family and I want you to ask them this question, just like this. I'm gonna check on you. How can I be for you this week? How can I be for you this week? And maybe they'll say I need prayer. Maybe, maybe they'll say I need a donut. I don't know what they're gonna say. I might say I need a donut. But how can I be for you this week? And then once we realize that we can be for others and they can be for us, we can be for this community. We can be for the people that are part of this world that don't know him. You know, you might have heard this word koinonia. It's a word that means fellowship or sharing or participating with others. And Paul, who was a writer of the Bible, uh, he penned this verse in 1 Corinthians 1.9. He says, you were called into the fellowship of his son, 
Jesus Christ our Lord. And this word fellowship in the original language is the word koinonia. And it means sharing together with other believers the common union we have with Christ and each other. And the verse says that we are called into koinonia. You are called into koinonia, the fellowship of his son. It's what Jesus designed for us. And, and I just asked the Lord this week, why? Why does, why? Why do we need fellowship? Sometimes people are hard. Sometimes people are frustrating, right? There's a great side of koinonia, and there's also kind of a difficult side of koinonia that might make you want to stay home instead of go to small group or, or not come to church because someone there looked at you funny. All right, listen, God says you need biblical community. It is so important because it will keep your spiritual life alive. I want to show you in Hebrews 3, there's a lot of places. This is just the one I picked. But it says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I don't have to tell you that there are a lot of snares and distractions that can happen along the way in your faith journey. This passage says unbelief, hardened hearts, um, discouragement. And Jesus is saying, listen, you will need fellowship. Like you will need koinonia. You will need redemptive community to get through and persevere as a believer for your whole life long. Listen, you want to make it to the finish line? Then you're going to need each other. Because God formed us to need each other. You don't have to like it. <laughs> but it's true. That koinonia and that fellowship is what we need. Once the early church caught on how to be for others, God's design was on full display. I want to show you in um, Acts 2, 46 through 47, back to that original, original passage. It said, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, one of the primary ways that Erie First lives out redemptive community is how we do it is through groups. Groups are a big deal because it gives us a vehicle to be for each other. You can do it in other ways. I'm not saying this is the only way, but groups are a big deal because it gives us a vehicle to be for each other. And our hope is everyone would experience biblical redemptive community because that's what God designed for us to be. You got a groups booklet on your way in that lists the groups that are already in motion right now that you can connect into. And after service, there's a table in the lobby. It has balloons on it. Uh, that I want you to visit so you can sign up or you can ask for more information if you're not in a group already. Also, another way to just engage in redemptive community right here on Sundays is we have these prayer tables to my right and to my left, and each week there's a prayer team a member that is standing there just hoping you have a prayer request, okay? They are just praying that you have a prayer request so that they can join with you in redemptive community and say, look, together we're going to pray because we need to make it together. In fact, uh, Pastor Adam and I talk all the time. We don't know why there isn't a line long every single week because there's somebody there that wants to pray for you. It's not embarrassing. It's not shameful. We just want to help you. We, we want to pray with you on the things that concern your heart as little or as big as they can be. You know, what I love most about studying what the church looked like and, and what was intended for 
is realizing this, that the same God who spoke to the church in Acts 2 then is the same God who's speaking to us now. That the same God who answered the prayers of the people who prayed for this church when it began is answering our prayers right now. That the same God who was faithful then is faithful now. And redemptive biblical community is God's idea because we get to say to each other, you know, God was faithful to me in this generation. And I can tell the next generation and the next generation can tell the next generation because God is the God of the early church and he is the same God now. Love in door.
God, build our church from the ground up. God, help us fight for each other and with each other and for the ultimate cause of your kingdom. God, we are created to be for each other. We thank you for the history of Erie First Assembly of God. We thank you for the present, but God, oh God, we need you now, and we thank you for the future. And so, Lord, we stand on the promise that you are faithful and you are good, and the gates of hell will never overcome a church built on the radical confession of Jesus. Lord, we declare amen this morning. We say amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First podcast. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.